Balancing Death Kirk is a weekly KeyForge podcast focused on competitive play. The podcast is hosted by Kita Mode and Kodamarin. The show is here for listeners to gain a better understanding of how to evaluate decks, how to evaluate their own board position, and how to anticipate opponents' decisions. Without further ado, here's this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of Bouncing Death Quark. I am Kira Mode. I am here with Kodamarin and How's it going? Nate Aaron. Good morning. All right, so a uh, little bit of a different episode today. So this is a banter session. The banter sessions, the reason we're doing it in this format is they're for topics that we can't really discuss in 10 minutes, right? We can't just, like, game plan it out and chop it down. Um, and then oftentimes we're going to need extra people. So in this one, uh, for those that don't know, Nate Nuring, he is a former Star Wars player. He's played basically every card game. We brought him in here because we highly respect him. He's top 16 at every single event that we're aware of that he's competed in. And then also he's really, really for good Star at Wars. this game. For Star Wars, right. The game that matters. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then this game is okay, too. But he's pretty good at this one. And we wanted to analyze the top decks at the late at the first Vault Tour, get impressions, and we thought he'd be a great guy to bring in. And so, uh, Nate, if you're right, just tell folks a little bit about yourself before we jump into the main topic. Uh, sure. So, like you mentioned, uh, Star Wars LCG player. Um, I met both of you through that game. Um, mostly, I've just been playing a lot of card games over the last 20-plus years now, so I'm, I'm kind of comfortable diversing into into new games as they come up. Uh, prefer to play like limited formats when it comes to it. Um, and I felt like this game, when I picked it up, was very close to a limited slash constructed format. Uh, much like Star Wars LCG, which I thought was an absolute blast of a game to play. And this, this game feels very similar to it. Um, yeah. So just a little history on that. Yeah, so thanks, Nate. Um, and thanks for helping us out with this. So... We're going to analyze the what we think is the top 32 of this last Vault Tour. And mm-hmm. we found 32 decks by searching on the Keyforge website for all decks of power 5 and higher, which gave us a really nice 32 decks. I think that's most of the lists from this tour, right, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. So there, I think there's a couple decks that are sprinkled in from the Seattle Vault Tour, but that's a sealed event. They don't really muddy up the waters too much, though. We know what the top four is for the European event, and we, we can see all the other decks. Yeah, and really, this, we just want to get a better idea of what the meta looks like right now. What, what's today? It's March of 2019, so it also might be interesting in the future to be like, wow, that's what the meta was? Shadows was good? <laughs> Come on. Shadows yeah. is trash. But no, in this tour, Shadows is really good. Um, let's, ta- let's talk about it. Yeah. So... Um, uh, Cole, you lead us off with the with the shadows one because like so, the, this is a very important point. So just straight up statistics. The easiest thing to look at is how many houses there are uh, of each uh, of each house. Of all the thirty two decks, twenty eight of them had shadows, and the ones without shadows didn't do all that well. Um, conversely, Brobnar only had five showings. So that's a really interesting thing to say. Wow, I think shadows kind of is on the top, and Brobnar is in the bottom. It, it sometimes feels that way to me, but it's clear. Well, so something for me personally is um, Sanctum is my favorite house. And um, a lot of what Sanctum does is they say, I have big bodies, they have shields, and they pick off the weenies and then get little benefits for doing so. And they can heal themselves. Where they're really weak against is they are really weak against Brobnar because they can't pick off Brobnar guys, and the Brobnar guys can pick them off. right? They want to be killing like little Mars and Shadows and Disc Creatures. So this is very encouraging for me personally because I'm like, great. If I bring a Sanctum deck to one of these events, I know I'm not going to be up against like just a chain of big Brobnar giants. I can just pick off the weenies and do what my deck does best. So very happy there. But if you're a person that likes playing Brobnar, this is this is probably intimidating for you, right? Because <laughs> you're like, my deck's trash now. Well, I think it's, it's funny to mention because even, yes, when you have all those, you're, you like Sanctum, and if people are bringing Brobnar... You're gonna you're gonna struggle, but no one's bringing Brobnar, mm-hmm. so your Sanctum should go up in value. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also see that the Brobnar decks, when we were looking at the deck lists of the decks that were performing well and that actually kind of won, uh, were producing a lot of amber counts. But when you look at the the Brobnar, they fall in like the bottom seven decks of those 32 with Brobnar mm-hmm. as far as amber count. Um, so they, I guess that the top performing decks were kind of generating a lot of amber versus the decks with. Brobnar and them were not. Yeah, maybe it's just a question of amber production. Um, 
for me, I think the interest, my favorite statistic of house composition is this. There are the, it's the second most common house. There are 17 of them, but 16 of the 17 were paired with shadows. So more like half of the, the field was dis shadows. Well, and the fact on, that they were together on. is interesting to me. We're, we're missing a very important thing. Are we? 28 of the 32 decks had shadows. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> that's the more relevance. But yeah, no, like the the what shadows paired. With 19 of those have bait and switch, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, like oh. so. Well, but what we're thinking about is like you know we've we've talked about this like really early on, like we all pretty much are in agreement that dis shadows feels really strong, mm-hmm. and you look at this and you're like, yeah, it's pretty good and a lot of that i think is just key denial you know like the the best key denial in the game is in shadows the second best is in dis mm-hmm. and so if you just look at it that way you're like it's here right like the stats bear it out like if you bring the shadows dis like if you can control people's keys while also yourself producing amber that's probably your best uh game plan to win overall bait and switch though only 19 i thought the number would be like 25 i thought if I was, if I had a deck and I was really confident in it, or I wanted to be confident in it, um, I would be like, "Wow, my bring my bait and switch deck." But nine of the twenty-eight shadows players say, "No, my shadows deck is good enough without bait." And only and a couple of those had a. Yeah, I I think it's I think that's right. I think I think bait is a good card, but I but this shows it's not necessary, and I agree. Yeah. Um. So th- this is a a strange point for me because um. I don't like bait and switch for a lot of reasons, uh, philosophically. Um, I think it's really good. I think it's the best card in the game. But I also don't think it's entirely necessary. So I can understand people not wanting to bring it. At the same time, the impression I got from the pool as a whole is that people just sort of brought their best shadows deck. In which case, I would just figure they would bring bait and switch if if that's what you're going to do. Well, to me, it almost seems like... I, I feel like most of these people have probably opened multiple decks. And what I've noticed in our meta, too, is that you open that bait and switch deck and you play it and you kind of use it as a crutch, right? Like it has bait and switch. I'm just going to play it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to play it, play it. And then if you're just playing a deck more, like inherently you're going to be more comfortable in the deck. You should perform better over time. Um, So I I I feel like bait and switch just becomes a crutch card that people kind of develop into while being, yes, probably the best card in the game. It, it kind of breeds that people want to keep playing their bait and switch deck and it's because they've gotten blown out by bait and switch they've blown someone out with bait and switch so they, they get that feeling that good feeling that keeps them coming back um to play it, that card it does work it's not just a feeling it's it's how you win a lot of games it's how it, you you it, forge it your first key. crutch card yeah <laughs> <laughs> like if there were ever a crutch card in this game it's we're, we're being elitist about it but let's be let's be real for a second it's really good yeah um all right so like let, let's transition a little bit so um talking about these decks as a whole right we say there's a lot of shadows right and uh in our spreadsheet there was a lot of um amber production but how do the top four decks themselves interact with this meta as a whole so nate if you want to give your thoughts on these top four decks sure so i, I think the one thing to highlight is they all had bait and switch mm. so they all had <laughs> shadows yeah um three of them were paired with logos which I found was kind of interesting because Logos was, I think, the fourth highest one to show up. So mm-hmm. it was behind, just behind Untamed. So it went Shadows, Dis, Untamed, Logos, uh, Mars Sanctum being kind of low, and then Brobnar. And then you also look at the top four decks, and Brobnar and Sanctum don't even show up. Yeah. Sad. I, I'm a little yes, surprised that, that two Mars <laughs> shows up because... Um, I give Mars a hard time. I think we collectively give Mars a hard time about, like, you have to have the right deck composition. But looking at these, I mean, these are pretty good Mars lists. And it, so it like, turns out when you put good Mars cards together in the right order and you don't play the bad ones, you have a good deck. In, in well, my experience with Mars, I've because I, I, we played a sealed event yesterday, um, and I had Mars in it, and that a lot of the decks that had Mars performed better. And I think that comes down to a lot of people not necessarily knowing all the interactions with mars they're a very complicated house to play in comparison to the others mm. um so it, it's kind of one of those things it's, it's very hard to play around so when you have someone with mars lineup that's very good and they know how to play it it, it can be i guess more punishing than just well, a, let me show a some love house. to one of these mars lists so the the beolua abandonante that deck has a prime mars list because one it has speed signal 
So when you look at oh, those two Mega Mouths, you look at that Bolter, <laughs> yeah. you look at that Red Planet Raygun, they are a whole lot better now. Also has Feeding Pit, a low-key amazing card because it lets you discard cards out of your hand. And it has one of my favorite cards in Deep Probe, where if you know that they have like some like a handful of urchins you just call shadows they're all gone hmm. so like that that is a money mars list there especially yeah, when you factor I, in that it has speed sigil in that deck what's funny is actually when i when i wrote out like my notes as to what i thought about this deck i went ah the best mars card is speed sigil like <laughs> <laughs> like it literally came up that way and like if compod was in there it, it might beat it out compod um, is a insane card <laughs> i don't want to talk about it but uh, honestly like looking at the, the one thing i don't like about this mars list in general is that it it doesn't have the big play that Mars is usually trying to go for. So mm-hmm. it's not setting anything up to, like, do that Compod turn, to do that um, Mass Abduction turn or Key Abduction turn. It it, it just has a, a very good Mars list. Honestly, Mars feels more like a, like a third house here. It, like, the, uh, the, the Captain of Bacchus which we're not talking about yet, that one, feels like Mars is a main house. This one here, mm-hmm. it seems like you have some Disc, you have some Shadows, you throw down Megamouth to double Reap, and get your, I don't know, your Guardian Demon off again, or your Dodger, right? It seems like the like your support house. You have the EMP Blast to get rid of your own Speed Sigil or wreck some unfortunate artifacts. Sure. You know, it's a it, there's tools in there. Yeah. The other and when, sorry, sorry. So when we talk about like the the main house, burst house, support house, like for the deck that won because it's a racing deck, mm. those terms don't 100% apply. But like in this one in particular, while we're talking about Mars, there is pretty established like Mars and this uh, are pretty clearly main slash support houses. They're not fully defined, but they kind of play that central role. Whereas the shadows house is very clearly a burst house, right? You're stacking clear. that hand up. You know? Yeah. Uh, Nate, you want to you want to get in something? I was just gonna say like with with the Mars two. If if you look at it, like, I think it had seven or six creatures, but all the other creatures or all the other cards, sorry, um, generate amber when you play them. So you're literally mm. every card that you play is gonna generate amber or generate board presence. So you're never kind of taking a turn off when you play that house. Um, and I think, in general, that deck, kind of all the cards in there are kind of doing a similar thing outside of Dis. No, that's a real point. And Dis has, what, nine creatures plus Arise? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yep, like, big highlight. Like, this is very clearly Dis is your main house, and then Shadows is your burst house. And Mars is actually providing relevant utility with Megamouth on Speed Sigil. Yeah, Megamouth, some great Dis targets here. Feeding Pit. Like mm-hmm. EMP blast, these are quality Mars tools. I, I mean, no, I'd be I'd be super excited to open this deck and play it. I, and I think fast. I would open this deck. I would give this deck a hard time on on first look. I wouldn't peg this for a top four. I think this has a lot of good things, and I think the reason that it's especially strong is it has no none of the bad things. Yeah. If it had like hypnotic command or one of those while all of your Mars cards are ready cards uh, it doesn't even have the yixalo marauder which cares about how many ready mars guys you have it just has a bunch of mars cards that pretty much always work irradiated amber is one that doesn't always work but it always gets you an amber so i think nate's point of all these mars cards are just here to get you an amber at the worst is a great point yeah and and it's fast right so I think the most surprising thing to me when I was looking at the data as a whole, when you're looking at the 32 card or decks, is that there just wasn't as many racing decks as I expected. Like, my thought was, if I'm going to a tournament, I am just assuming every good player is bringing a racing deck. And when you look at the top four, all these decks can produce Amber. And, like, it, and the decks that did have more racing attributes, which, like, we haven't fully defined on our show yet. We did, like, part of our mm-hmm. racing deck stuff. We're going to do more. But I expected that to be the strongest deck type. And, like, you look at these top decks, and they can pump out the Amber, right? They they don't – they have – like, you know, this deck that we've been talking about for a while, it it likes to have a board, but it doesn't need it, right? Like, you're, you're able to, with Speed Sigil and a lot of these cards that just generate Amber to just keep your pressure going, and you don't 100% need a board. And the deck that won for sure definitely doesn't need a board either. And – other thing of note is that the board that it creates is honestly kind of small. There's no dominators. There is a shadow self, but you know a lot of fives and nothing really huger than a five. And that's probably good in the meta. You know, there wasn't any Brobnar or Sanctum that it couldn't kill. All right. Uh, in looking uh, at it too, yeah. the <clears throat> when you, when you, we mentioned like the amber, uh, this was actually of the four decks, the one that had the least just raw amber on cards, um, and significantly lower too. 
So it, it's I think when we look at just the stats, this is 13 versus like a, a 17, 19, and 21. So it, it's considerably lower, and I think it kind of shined here or, or is shown itself there. Yeah, the, the speed sigil changes the math. Um, yep. But here, l- let's transition to a deck that I know Colby was not a huge fan of, which is the deck that has a library access with no amber generation. This and is that sh- is the uh, Schlossarine Serene deck. Um, I actually am okay with this deck, but I want to hear Colby hate on it for a little bit first. Okay, okay. I'm not going to hate on it because it's top four. And a big thing for me is if you make it to if you make it to the top cut, that's a good deck, and you're a good player, and you know what you're doing. Um, I'm when I was looking at the stats. Let's talk about Nefty Nefty Seed and Library Access decks just real quick. There's only four Nefty Seeds in the entire tournament. Uh, ne- decks with Nefty Seed, and there's six Library Accesses. And this is there's only two of them that has both, and one of them made it to the top four. So, you know. I don't believe any of them had Key Charge with it though. Or like the fa- or the or the phase shift or scrambler storm or chota they really they or the or the decks we expected to like be playing well and that's that's what I'm interested about so I look at this deck and I go okay you're doing the library access neftine seed thing what uh, nepenthe seed I know I know I say that wrong but I'm calling yeah, it nefty seed I, I say it with an f um, I think this is the worst nefty seed deck with the library access I've ever seen as far as that combo <laughs> because it is. It is nine <laughs> bodies. It is an enhancement, an upgrade, an artifact, and then one action is library access. If you if you combo off hard, your whole board ends up on the table, and then you have to reap next turn, which isn't terrible. But like this deck doesn't use Neftine Seed for library access. I, I don't think. Maybe I'm getting something wrong. I thought when you play library access, you're supposed to play a bunch of events. You play Scrambler Storm, and you do crazy stuff. I've never seen it with creatures. This this might be something new. Okay, so um, <laughs> I looked at this a little bit differently. The way I looked at this deck is if you just look at the Shadows and the Untamed list, a lot of cards that gain Amber. And a lot of those cards can gain two Amber, right? Mm. Like you have Triple Nerf Blast, that's a two Amber swing. Triple Dust Pixie, also two Amber swing. You have Full Moon with a bunch of bodies, so you can reasonably get two off that enough times for it to matter. You have a bait and switch. You have too much to protect. Relentless Whispers can potentially be a three amber swing. So I look at that and I say, you just have a lot of racing cards out of your um, other two factions. And then the logo side, not that great, to be honest. But it doesn't matter. Like, you just need them to get out of the way. And they're bodies, so, like, they could still reap every now and again. Yeah, so, I mean, I was, I was going to hit on that point, too, that you said, like, <laughs> there, are, there are nine bodies in logos. So your Shadows and Untamed is just doing the bulk of the work and generating the Amber, stealing the Amber, keeping your opponent off the keys. Um, but then you're like, your Logos is just like, okay, well, I have to play a Logos turn, and I've been saving it, so now my library access is good. And now I'm going to go in with playing a bunch of creatures, and then now if you don't answer those creatures, then I'm just reaping for two, three turns and probably winning the game at that point. Um, but back to your point as to why like a library access Nepin Seed maybe isn't performing as well, and I think that has a lot to do with what we talked about with Shadows being so heavy in the meta, mm. um, is that you have a lot of Nexus, just random Nexus creatures running around. Um, and I think if you watch the finals video, you'll see the player with the Nepin Seed actually just discard it, because their opponent has two Nexus in play. So they, <laughs> they just can't play Nepin Seed. Like reliably, and if if you expect to see a lot of shadows, like maybe Nepenthe just loses a lot of value at uh, that point. I really want to actually, you know, one of the things I want to get when we look a little bit more wide at this at this pool of lists is how much artifact control there is, how important the artifacts are. There's only a couple speed sigils. There's no soul snatchers, but like Lash, there were like six of them. Uh, there there are a lot of very important artifacts in the game. Maybe like just being able to nexus your opponent's gauntlet of command, if you're up against a rare Brobnar deck. I don't know. Like, uh, how important is artifact control? I think I think the answer is it's important. I, I, I think, think it's. Im- yeah. I believe it's important. I think just inherently, decks don't have a lot of it. Like, yeah. there's just so little of it in the actual game itself that you just you just don't see it. And like when people are just playing their decks without it and they're winning, like they're they're not looking for decks that have control over it. Maybe that random one Nexus in their Shadows list is plenty. I think, yeah, I think having one or two Nexus is plenty, but important. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it also depends, I think, on what artifacts you have. So, um, Nexus, I don't think is that big of a deal with, like, say, a Lash of Broken Dreams, 
because you're not getting killed by Lash. But it is right. devastating when it hits like a long fuse mines, a Nepenthe seed, or just anything that's like sacrifices artifact, get this monstrous effect. Gormavom. Exactly. Like that's where Nexus becomes a real terrifying card. And that's where it's like if you're going to a deck, you're like, here, I have this infinite library access combo deck, but I know if my opponent just has one Nexus I can't kill, my deck's dead. That becomes pretty terrifying. Yeah, like that's that's real. And I think uh I think the, there's the, the cards that are like Nexus, which are use your opponent's artifact. Those are inherently better against the sacrifice ones. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think a lot of these stronger artifacts are the sacrifice ones. But then there's the other ones, which, which say um, uh, EMP Blast destroys the artifacts. Barehanded puts them back on top. Um, uh, I Life's Necklifter, it steals an artifact. Uh, well, the ones that actually get rid of them are stronger against things like uh, the Gauntlet Command, the Lash of Broken Dreams, and the seeker needle and i think I'm, we're seeing less of those uh repeated main house artifacts in these top decks i think the the ones that are big one hit uh effects like neftine seed are more more common all right so let, let's transition to uh the last non-winner of the top four and it's steel jizzaselli because that's a good transition because it actually has some very relevant artifacts that while they're all good, I wouldn't be too terrified of, say, like a Nexus or a Poltergeist taking them. And this deck has a Dominator Bobble, it has a Lash, and it has a Skeleton Key, which I like all three of those artifacts, but I'm not I'm not totally butthurt if they get interacted with in any way. With the exception mm -hmm. of maybe Lash. Like, I'd like my Lash not to get destroyed, but if it gets hampered for a turn, I don't care. Right. This um, has a Time Traveler yeah. in it. Maybe, like, I don't love Time Traveler <laughs> as a card. You'll We'll talk about that when we get to the winner. Um, I don't think it's a super special card, but it's here. Maybe it's better I, than I give it credit for. Um, maybe it's stronger with Dimension Door than I want it to be. Yeah, I, th I think when you actually look at, like, the, I think it was the top eight decks or maybe the top 16 decks, there was, like, six copies of Time Traveler, Five. Help from Future Self. Five, Five. total. Okay. okay. And we see three of them in the top four. So I mean, maybe, maybe because I, my, my original thought when I played the game, oh, too, yeah. was that, like, drawing cards during your turn necessarily wasn't all that strong. Right when you when you played that library access and you just played three logos cards into three shadows cards, you're like, well. Uh, to me, time traveler is like a slightly better version. Yes. of Fixie. It's like you get an amber for playing the search. You get an amber for the time traveler, and then if you draw two cards, about fifty percent of the time you're gonna hit a logos card, and then maybe that card does something. So like that's fine. Uh, it's not something I would want to build my deck around. Um, but like this deck in particular, though has a pretty, like, much like the other ones, has really good amber generation, right? A lot of cards generate amber, and then it also has two dust imps, which also generate amber when they die. Mm -hmm. um, so you can, you know, just pump out the juice out of this deck, and it has some pretty good amber control that I see. Like, this one, out of all of them, I think has the strongest amber control. Like, you got your Lash, you got your old Bruno, your Magda, and... <laughs> your you routine jobs? Yep. Got them jobs. two routine jobs. Yes. Um, well, I like how there's amber control in each faction. You have Schuler mm -hmm. with Lash and kind of the Dominator Bobble in your disc. You have Effervescent mm -hmm. Principle. You have Scrambler Storm in Logos, and uh, you have you have a Shadow's House, which is all it's almost all capture in Steel. Yeah, there's this deck is, yeah. is a very interesting one because it also has both Control the Weak and it has Scrambler Storm to mess your opponent up. Like, I, I like just having both of those in the same deck just to threaten them, and you have Overlord Grecking. Now, and I wish Ember Overlord Ember. were in a stronger disc lineup, but every now and again, you might just play them out there, and then if your opponent's playing discards, they maybe don't want to play their discards, then you just steal it from them and use them immediately. It's my, my initial thought on this deck, too. Like, I, I love all the cards that are in it, but when you kind of just look at it, you have a 5-4-6 lineup with creatures, so you're... Mm -hmm. Maybe five if you want to count the time trail or the help and feature self as an extra one. It's very low in that sense, and they're kind of spread out. So you're not really ever establishing like a great board to like no. kind of reap with or push. You're racing. Um, yeah, the, right. The the raw amber on the cards is actually quite low too. I think it was around ten. Just just okay. amber when you play cards. Um, and then if you look at the actual creatures themselves, there's not many threats in the deck. Right. None of the cards matter when they hit the table. Mm -hmm. So you've got Ember Imp, which is one, and then Archivist. All right, I peg steel at seventeen amber producing cards. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what, that's what the steel, job. the steel. Yeah, but yeah. just there's, there's gonna be times where like you just have a reaching job in your opening hand and it's it's, it's zero, right? Mm. 
So, but just so just like raw amber is it was kind of low. But the well, but the the creature threat it my, itself is kind of lacking. You, like you can play out these creatures and they don't do a lot when they're on the board. And because you're never really establishing one house, your opponent really doesn't have to go after it. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of just they can kind of just play their game plan and not necessarily worry about you. They can peg off that Ganymede Archivist every so often or that Amber M to keep playing. Would you consider this a racing deck? I absolutely would. Um, I think it has enough amber production. Something that should be mentioned too is that if you want to do well at a tournament, you're going to need some luck, right? So Nate's look like I like my personal count when I count amber index is like any card that gets you an amber that you'll always play, and then any card that steals, or any card like silver tooth that comes in ready, those all count, right? So I counted this at 17, and it's like yeah, sometimes you won't be able to steal. But my thought is if I'm going to a tournament. And the reason I'm not going to play a deck is that every now and again my opponent's not going to have amber. I just can't. I can't have that thought in my head. Like my thought has to be they always have amber. Right. You have to assume that your your deck's going to give you the cards when you need them. And if this deck, like if all of those steel effects trigger when they need to trigger, this deck can just run hot. And and that's more what I see with this deck. Yeah, and and honestly, like when you look at the the decks in this in this top cut, this, these four decks, like they generate a lot of amber, right? Like mm-hmm. when you look at the things that are. They're the, one of the top producing amber decks. Like they should have amber all the time. What, one thing I want to, I think, I think steel this Hall Forest Keeper. I think this is an interesting example of a deck that might slip under the radar in your collection. That might slip under the radar in a in an eBay auction. That might, you know, it's eighty six SAS, which you know is a number. It's relevant. It's it's got bearing on the deck. But you know, eighty six. Yeah, I'll play my ninety five. I'll play my ninety two. But this, you know, this is a deck that you could get in reasonably, you know, you could find this deck. And you could play it, and if you play it well, I bet you could, I bet this could have won. I mean, just a note on that, it has bait and switch time traveler. Those generally sell <laughs> pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. But, but also, if, you, if you took out time traveler, like... Oh, yeah, then, then yeah, you're, you're getting by everything. Maybe, yeah, like you could, you could get this deck, or something yeah. that looks like it, right. and actually also, do well. Let me go to Nate's point. So, he said, like, you're not going to build much of a board. That's an issue if you're up against a bunch of board control decks. But as we saw within our data set, board control is just not, it's not a big thing, right? Like, it's uh, clearly what matters here as far as people going to these events is they want the high-impact little dudes, not, like, the big board control big dudes. Yeah, I think we saw, like, of these four decks, the big mass removals, there's one gateway to this, there's one save the pack, which is very situational, and I think there was one poison wave. Oh, in the in the top cut, that's it. In, the, in this top, in this top four, sorry, wow. in the top in these in these top four. Oh, so yeah, like, yeah. you yeah, you're just playing creatures and they're they're surviving. And yeah, if you watch yeah. some of the play, like, I didn't see a lot of trading. I saw a lot of reaping. Yeah, the huh. the removal was definitely shaded, and maybe to the best, right? Like these are the decks that perform well. So the decks that perform well, they basically prioritize not having board control, because maybe they said we don't need it. Right, like our decks are fast enough to get past the decks that can control the board, and then against racing deck versus racing deck, I don't care to have board control cards. I care to just have cards like, say, Magda the Rat that just steal two. Right, mm-hmm. I care to just have like an effervescent principle that chops my opponent's amber down. And like this deck that we're talking about here, steal, having a gateway, not great. Right, it maybe is just a dead card most of the time. Fear probably doesn't do a whole lot for you. You know, like you actually would rather just have cards that get you amber or prevent your opponent from getting amber. And every single card that controls the board is kind of a negative at that point. In this in this meta in particular. Yeah, yeah. For this vault tour and like, you know, next vault tour might be different. But next like this set, is a pretty I think good next idea set is going today. to be very different. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. But like we're gonna have a couple of vault tours before the next set. And so I would mm-hmm. expect the metas to kind of build on each other. So I think racing's gonna be the thing that gets even more push, in which case, uh like, having board control against other racing decks won't matter. And that's where a control deck can actually shine, right? Maybe you build a deck that has Brobnar and Sanctum, the two beefiest houses that didn't show up. But if you have enough Amber control to slow these decks down, they don't have answers for you, right? Like, we just saw it. They don't, there's no board control. So mm-hmm. you can actually build a board, and it's going to live. If you put two Bulwarks out there, they're never going to die. Mm. So you're so saying you need Jehu the Bureaucrat in your deck? Uh He's a good card. He's he's low key a great card. Um, can we talk about the winner? Yeah, let let lead off of that one. Okay, the captain of Barracks launch. Um, this card, this deck's got it all, and I think there's an easy way to hype this deck, and then there is an analytical way to look at this deck. 
I'm going to start with hyping this deck because it's got principle. It's got double time traveler. It's got bait and switch in the It has Mars. It's got <laughs> physics the disintegrator. And my personal favorite, I love the three little bolters. I think those things are really valuable. In a, in a world with no board control, these things that reap and get you that value. Oh, this deck is great. Okay, hype over. Let's talk uh, about it. The, the bolters are a good, good point here because, so, bolter in a meta with a whole bunch of big bodies, not that great. Bolter in a meta with a bunch of shadows and a bunch of, like, untamed, where it's like, I can reap, but I can also kill your guy, right? I basically get to fight and reap at the same time, and it's a guaranteed kill, and you don't get to recur it with regrowth. That now becomes a fantastic card. Mm-hmm. And, like, a fantastic medical when you have three of them. You know, like, it, I, I really like that pick in this deck. Um, because, like, the, you look at this deck, and, like, my first thought when I saw it is I'm like, I don't love this deck because it has no board control. Like, your mm-hmm. board control is you have the three bolters. You can sort of count the tongue. You got Relentless Whispers and a Poison Wave. That's it. So my thought is if I just put, like, a couple trolls and a Valder out there, they live forever. Like, they're never going to go away. And um, but it doesn't matter because nobody played Brobnar. <laughs> so yeah. So this deck can just mow down everybody, We're like pretty much uncontested. I think it's good to know too that twenty three of the cards in this deck either generate or steal amber, mm-hmm. and it's spread out evenly. And like the ones that aren't are nec- are creatures outside of Time Traveler. Yeah. And Silvertooth. So like you're every time you play a card in this deck or every turn that you take, you're gonna get two to three. Four, five, six, sometimes amber, or I, stealing it, and and even a lot of these cards make you know give you those double amber swings. I, I think I'm I'm a big uh, I'm not a fan of wild wormhole, but you know in here it's a it's like another amber. It feels like a two amber card yeah, in it's, it's this deck. It's basically a ghastly hand in yeah. this deck. Yeah. Are there any dead hits in this deck? Yeah, you don't want to hit principal. Mm. You don't want to hit bait and switch. You don't want to hit key abduction when you have a nice Mars board. Um, and that's why I hate Wormhole. Y- you might not want to hit your time traveler nonsense, you know? But I don't know. I think, I, I you think still most play of these it. hits you're okay with. Um, it's, yeah. it's a very high percentage play. And this kind of goes back to the luck thing, where, like, you can't not play this deck because Wormhole is going to screw you over every now and again. You have yeah. to say, I just need Wormhole to not hose me for six straight games, and then I win the title. Right? <laughs> and and six that can is not a big number. Yeah, like, there's a lot of variance in this game. And, like, this, like, if, as far as high rolling, this deck is very good at potentially high rolling because you have a lot of amber production. If, like, those time travelers, you know, when you draw off time traveler, you're only going to hit a logos card about 50% of the time. But if you just have a lot of games where you hit two logos cards or you just never miss with it, like, you just win that coin flip over and over again, now time traveler becomes a much stronger card. And then also it shuffles your deck back in. So if you're able to get your bait and switch early and then you play it, even for slim value, and your time traveler just shuffles it back in, if you're just redrawing the bait at the perfect time, like, this deck can just pump it out. And, and to that point, too, how many games do you, do you play where you just, you're like, all right, I'm going in, and they bait and switch you? But you're like, all right, well, I don't have to deal with that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right, where this deck's like, well, you dealt with the first one, but I have it again. I could you have might, it again. You might have it again, yeah. Okay. Right, and or so you're always, always playing, or the principal, and then, like, a lot of the... the actions in this deck are generating amber too so when those get shuffled back in there's just a high percentage of drawing them back so you're Mm -hmm. like the the real amber count in this deck is just off the rails like it's it's constantly putting the cards back that it wants and then disintegrator could actually be good so no that's that's my star card i I look at this like lineup and it seems hard to have that card live or even have a mars board with it but as we just saw like the board control got completely shaded in this meta and so if you say hey i play two bolters a tonk and a disintegrator there's a very high likelihood that all four of those cards will live till next turn and then you might be like okay i'm just gonna call mars again disintegrator just hits for four amber and then i'm also gonna bolter kill your guys and tonk the reap disintegrator doesn't count ready guys he just counts guys so if you have a blip lip or if you archive this uh felix and then find your squawker and then pull him he's gonna steal three or four amber on one action that is a ridiculous amount of value it takes it out of the game. It can't be captured back or can't be stolen back. That card is low-key really, really good. And I haven't watched the, the, the games with this deck, but I bet you if I were playing it, I would value that card real high. It's much better with Speed Sigil, right? Like, like when you can just say, I pump out four Mars guys, then I, and Disintegrator just triggers is good. But when it lives for a board, 
uh, for a turn, it only has one health. So you either like double attack it to get rid of the elusive, or you use like your own bolter to kill him. But mm. that's presuming people have board control, right? That's you have people the just have. Yeah, that and, just and this control. one because maybe it's not like Blipyip, right? Blipyip only works if he lives. Yeah. Right? So you have to be able to play the Blipyip, <clears throat> who's only two, and expect him to live multiple turns, which can actually happen. And and that and that's where I was, like I at first didn't like this deck that much. I thought it was just okay with good high roll. But then the more you look at the field, the more you're like, holy crap, this deck is insane with what the meta it's up against. And I can see this deck losing. I can see this deck losing to a good deck, right? Yeah. So my biggest flaws of this deck: one, not a lot of board control; two, not a lot of amber control. Like, if you look at this deck carefully, so you got Bait Switch, two Relentless Whispers, you got an Effervescent Principle, and that's it. Urchin, um, Dusk Runner, meh. Oh, I forgot about Urchin. Well, Dusk Runner, I, I would assume <clears throat> it doesn't hit enough. Like, I don't really get it. It has runners. two Silver Tooths, so it probably does. Yeah, I guess you can count that one too, but it's just not a lot. Like, it, a lot of them are ones, and they're one off usage. It's got Grabber Jammer and. Fi- and, and Felix, like I think that's and psychic network, <laughs> but you have to assume those cards hit, right? So like, yeah, I like if I look at Grabber Jammer and Phyllis at Disintegrator, and my thought is, if I play them, they're just gonna die. Like you can't expect them to live, especially if you don't have Taunt or Shadow Self or anything to protect them. So you, they only really work if your opponent's not attacking you. And it's the same thing with like the Dust Runner, right? Like Dust Runner maybe hits once with a Silver Tooth, and then your Silver Tooth dies, unless it doesn't, right? Unless your opponent just has no board control, and then now this Dust Runner is just every turn is stealing. And that maybe was where my fi- concern was with it. Maybe you just have to fight this deck aggressively to beat it. Like, if you're playing that uh, that steel deck we were talking about with the nine Mars guys, um, mm-hmm. the nine disc guys, you just have to fight into this thing despite your... I don't know. Uh, like, I guess... Yeah, you have to still win, though. I think one of the interesting things, too, because I was trying to think of, like, yes, this deck's very good, but how do you beat it? And I think the one thing that's interesting to know here, too, is that none of the top four decks, even though they have Shadows, none of them have Miasma in their oh. deck and so like just getting a deck with two or three of those to just like stall your opponent make a key stall your opponent make a key and like that takes their bait and switch off right they can't bait and switch you when they have seven amber Whoa. effectively or like play cards like interdimensional graft right like okay well you went to 10 amber so i'm just gonna take four of it there, yeah, there was only there's only one deck in the entire 32 decks that we we're looking at that has me as really that's yeah. interesting that's super interesting because there's a lot of decks that have three of them often, you know um so when I look at this deck and I say, what do I want to do to beat it? My very easy answer is, like, if I just have a bunch of crumps, this deck gets really sad. Or if I have, like, Lady Maxina. Four, four, four have Matt. Or sorry, four Lady Tavers. Sorry. Right. So, so, like, let's say I have Lady Tavers. And I'm just picking off these little weenies. And every time I'm taking Amber and you can't kill it, it's going to get really dark for this deck. Um, and then just Amber Control is what you need. But if, if like, the meta does not have good ways to kill your guys it does not have good amber control and they're just trying to race against you this deck just pumps out amber faster than other decks pump out amber and that's where it really shines daniel you got a deck that you that you talk about a lot with the uh, double doorstep lash burn the stockpile you like that deck grabber jammer doesn't have oh, can't have all those things what does it have mm-hmm. do you think that could beat this on amber control and the board control that you can create oh yeah 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 that that, that deck i think would would stomp this deck. How? But there's other deck. Well, so I have three grabber jammers and I have two sequences. So I have ways to consistently keep you off amber. I also have two doorsteps and ways to archive them. So anytime that you just get too high, like if you get to like seven or eight, I just bring you back down to five really easily with my board. And if you ever get to like 10, it's like, okay, well now you're down to five with the doorstep. Mm-hmm. They, they do have a key abduction, which is interesting here to balance all your Mars guys. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, those Mars guys aren't living with this deck, right? <laughs> so I, I haven't watched any of these games. I, I wonder how often Key Abduction actually high rolled. I bet. Uh, I think once. I think it was what it was said. I bet it. I bet it happened. Oh, like they said it. I, I think so. I, I I think it was in some other interview I watched, but I could be wrong. I yeah. would suspect that there's a couple times where you just have four random Mars guys live, and you just had a time traveler charm where your turn yeah. ended on seven or eight cards, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I have a Key Abduction. I'm just gonna get a key here. Mm-hmm. You know. Like that, that doesn't seem that hard, given what it's up against. Well, like, the the lack of removal in here, too. Like, you could just play with Gatekeeper out of Sanctum. Oh, Vault Keeper, you mean. Vault Keeper, yeah. And then just, oh. what are they doing? Like, you're going to get your Amber, and... They can't steal it. 
They can't steal it. And if you can protect him somehow... Okay. Yeah, like, if I have a Shadow <laughs> Self Vault Keeper... From? <laughs> fine. Right, well, it's something. I don't know. Like, maybe they're like, okay, I'm gonna Devil Relentless Wizards, I'm gonna Poison Wave, and then, like, I don't know. I mean, it, it can happen, but it's... So, so like, I don't want to take away from this deck, because this deck is still ridiculous. Yeah. But, Understood. like, there is a... I think it's a very strong call in the meta. Which is probably the best thing to point out, right? That, like, in this meta, this deck is broken. In slightly different metas, this deck gets crushed. And actually, I mean, like, you can look up this deck in the vault. It is not won every game. Like, this isn't a deck that yeah. they brought to their local chainbound events and is just undefeated and then goes undefeated at the tournament. It's like, it actually has struggle in its local meta a little bit, but high rolled this tournament. I and think so it, I think, I think five, part of that is like, uh, wait, sorry, you had to say something? Sorry, I was going to say, I think it 5 won in this event and then made the cut. But, so it did lose. But it, it's like, um, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is there's decks that can clearly beat it. And we've yeah. talked about the decks that can clearly beat it. But at the same time, if it runs against the right matchups, it can look damn near unstoppable against some of these decks. Like, I look at the other top four decks, and I don't think any of them have much of a chance against this. Yeah, I think if you watch the finals, like you'll see the other deck just get rolled over. Mm. That's never fun to watch. No. But, like, that's, that's kind of what I, I want to zoom out for a second and say like i really think that if you top cut top 16 top 32 whatever it is you have a real mm -hmm. chance to win i think that uh once you get to the top cut in any game it's a lot more about if your deck high rolls and you know luck of the draw sometimes you get second place and that's okay <laughs> <laughs> no comment okay. that, that, that was a dig <laughs> okay um <laughs> um, all right. Well, so that, that, let's move to the last uh, topic that, that we want to hit here, which is like um, a big talking point that came as a result of of this uh, vault tour is the person that played this deck. She's a store owner, and there's accusations that I think are mostly true, which is that she used her store, bought hundreds, if not thousands, of decks. I heard opened hundreds. them, um, kept the ones she wanted, and then sold the ones she didn't want via her store. Right, so it's kind of like you're just cherry-picking the deck. And then the thought is, okay, so if I want to win a tournament, I have to either have double... Like, I have to go pay for a double Time Traveler deck and like on eBay for 500 bucks, or I have to open up 600 deck boxes. And it's like, I can't afford that, therefore I can't play Keyforge competitively. And I think we should talk about this sentiment that came from the community. Nate, you... Um, I I think, yeah, like, the more decks you open, the, the better idea you're going to have of what decks are good. But I, I don't necessarily think that opening all those decks is, is a bad thing. I mean, that's that's actually good. There's a lot of people that are out there just looking for certain decks with certain cards in them because they like the card. And so, like, if, if they're getting those those decks at a discount, like, that, that's actually helping the community. And I think, as we, we've talked about, there's a lot of cards that can actually just beat this deck that are actually pretty common. Like, I think just loading up on Miasmas could really shut this deck down. Um so there are there are plenty of decks out there that I think could beat this, and I, I think if you find a a deck of like creeping oblivion and you just take all the time travelers, well then you don't have to deal with them. For for <laughs> me, well for me, I, we were talking about this. If you look at this deck and you take the 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 time travelers and the helps, and you swap them for just regular logos events, it's still a good deck. But it's harder to identify as a good deck. You see that it has bait, you see that it has Felix and the Sting, and you're like, I think this is good. And this is why I want to give. I don't know her. Does anyone know her name? I I know it's not Rachel. I believe Rachel. I want to. I, I want to give Rachel some credit because she still did the work. I don't know if she did. She probably did it with friends or something. But she obviously likes the game. She obviously plays the game. She obviously knows enough about the game to look through the decks, understand that this is a good deck, and play it and choose to bring it. Right. There are real skills that she exhibited by winning, and it's not just a, a function of how many decks she bought and opened. Yeah, you don't you don't just open a thousand decks and then play all thousand decks and figure out which one is best. Like you, you still look at this. I think when you see double time traveler bait and switch, you're like, I'm just gonna play it and see it, and then it it does perform, so you play it. Yeah, and then there's also degenerates like me, who go on eBay <clears throat> and just look up a lot of decks. And so to be honest, I I've lost track of how many decks I've looked through, but you guys have seen my like pieces of my watch list that I have on eBay. Like I'll, like if I like a deck, I'll just put it on my watch list. And I feel like every deck in my watch list is better than 80% of the decks that are in this field. Like it is, and, they're, and they're not expensive either. These are decks that they're on my watch list because I like them, but I don't think they're as good as my current decks. And so looking at it from that aspect, I'm like, I could go, I, give me a $25 budget. <clears throat> I can get any one of these decks 
and I can go to this tournament, and I can make the top cut. Top cut, yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. th- that's the difference between making the top cut and getting lucky and high-rolling and winning. That's why the top cut is, I think, is just as prestigious as getting all the way there, right? Um, if you look at some of the some of the streams I've done recently, I have two decks that I've been playing um, that I got off of eBay. I got them for 40 bucks, for 20 bucks, and they seem great. I would say that their SAS score and either statistics are middling, if not great. Um, I got them for a good deal. They're fun to play, and I think I would do well at one of these tournaments with those decks. And I didn't break the bank or waste, you know, open three hundred decks. I just <laughs> yeah. I was smart about it, you know, and a little luck. I think going into it too, like a lot of the Volt tours, at least the one that's coming up in Atlanta, it's it's a sealed event, so you don't necessarily have to worry about buying the most expensive deck or, or getting the best deck. Like you're going to open one and play it. Um, and I think a lot of play skill is going to show up at that event as far as who wins that event. And I think you saw that maybe in Seattle, too. The, the Voltor in Denver. The, you're going to that, right, right, Daniel? I, I am. <clears throat> sorry. I'm going to be going to the Voltor in Denver, and I'm very excited to go to that one. The format for that one's cool. Yeah. So the, the format for the Denver Voltor, if anyone is interested, is you bring three decks, and then you get to ban one of your opponent's decks. So each player will then have a two, two decks to choose from. You pick one of those two decks and you play with that. So basically, if you have two decks that you that you like a lot, you can always play one of the two decks. And I think I think that format's really cool. I'm excited. I'm trying to get to that one. I would like to, um, but it's at the end of the month, and I don't know if I can. But we'll see. But I'm excited is that a best of three format? Is it? Um, no, it's a best of one. Okay. Um, oh. I think in the finals it might be like best of three or something, but basically like. The way I see it, what they do in the finals doesn't matter. Like, the most important thing is getting to the finals. Mm-hmm. So the way I look at it is it's a best-of-one format. I have to bring a three-deck lineup that makes sense for banning purposes. And then if I can make it into the top cut from there, I just got to run good. And that's how you win tournaments. And you know. no one's going to open three decks that look like the captain of Barracksloch, right? I mean, they could, but, like, you know... I'm going to have decks that can beat that type of deck. Um, I actually, like, so my lineup, I like two of my decks a lot. The problem is I don't really actually buy racing decks because I'm kind of against them. I think they're just, like, more or less solitaire decks. But I actually need a racing deck for my lineup. So I've kind of reinvigorated my eBay searches Mm -hmm. to try to find the correct racing deck that I think can deal with the type of decks I'm afraid of for my deck. And that's sort of my pet project for the next month. But the reason I the reason I bring that tour up and bringing it back to this tour is I'm excited to see other formats. You were talking about the sealed format. You're t- we're talking about this um, bring three deck format, and you're talking about what if I have a different deck in my lineup, not just having three decks that look the same, but you know different tools. Maybe this one has more artifact control. If I am afraid that they're going to bring their artifact deck, um, this this uh, which where was this original Voltor that we just looked at? Uh, Netherlands. I, right. I forget what city. <clears throat> but um. This one is a, you bring a deck, you play it. And we have a meta. It's going fast and doesn't care about the board. I'm really interested to see what happens in the other metas if a sealed meta uh, ends up being board, board state-based. I'm very, very curious to see. We talked about it earlier, too. Like my, my local meta, the last four chain-bound events have been one or first and second place have been a Brobnar Sanctum Logos lineup. No shadows, no discs, no untamed. Yeah, but you have a you have a wacky deck with. Epic I do, but the, but the other the other the other three or four decks that are those same houses are also performing well without those cards. That's that's pretty cool. That's so that, it's that it's interesting. Cool. It, it, but it, but it could be the fact that the rest of the meta is playing these type of bait and switch decks yeah. that generate amber, and then our decks just can beat Put the that. Clamps on it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So yeah, meta matters, um, and trying to predict what people are gonna play <clears throat> is a big deal. Which is like that's why I said I want a racing deck in my lineup because, you know, I need I need to have a counter to the types of decks that I'm afraid of. Um, but if it, if I were going best of one, right to that type of event, I'm choosing my lineup. I'm choosing my one deck a little differently than I'm choosing for this event because this one because it has three decks. How the decks interact with each other in matchups is actually more important than any given deck's power, which is cool. And yeah, they're, they're going to have different types of formats. I'd be like, if they ever did like an adaptive format for a vault tour, that'd be interesting because in that case, 
the best deck is just whatever's the most complicated and difficult to use deck possible. Mars. That's your best bet because <laughs> you know you're going to split almost every single game, right? One of the decks is going to be better than the other, and it's about knowing how many chains is the difference. And no, if you I... understand the complicated deck, then you can go. No, that's player. That's that's pilot man. I love adaptive. The play swap bid. That's all about pilot skill. I'm a, I'm about that. I love that. Yeah, what I'm saying is the more complicated your deck is, the more the pilot skill matters. Okay, that's that's right. fair. Like, you, you want a deck that when your opponent looks at it, they're like, I don't understand what's happening here. Like, <laughs> I don't get how this deck wins. And that's where maybe you could steal a game with your deck, but they can't. But if their deck's pretty simple, then it's like, okay, well, I could play your deck, but you can't play my deck. See, but then it can't really be one-dimensional then either, because then, like, the first game when you, you play your game plan... If they mimic that game plan going into game three, then well, hopefully okay, let, still let's get give there. It, let's give an easy example. Yeah. Let's say I have a, um, what's it called, uh, Epic Quest deck, right? I and do, like, yeah. Okay, so let's <laughs> say the entire game plan is gearing towards a really good Epic Quest turn. Yep. Now, there's different types of Epic Quest decks that would want to get at it different ways. One way to do it is you can put a bunch of knights, you play Epic Quest, archive the knights, wait until you get like two or three cards, and then play them. The other way to do it is you archive a bunch of non-knight creatures, or uh, Card, sanctum sanctum cards, cards, and then basically you you gear up for one big turn. And so, like someone that's playing against you, if you epic quest for the win, they might understand that epic quest is a good card. They're not going to understand the six turns where you were secretly archiving cards away hmm. to play towards this. And so, like that's well, they they would see you doing game. that though. Like I I I feel like because because it that... feels weird. I've played against your I played against your deck uh, deck Nate. You you play Blood of the Titans on the Logos guys. You use sloppy lab work on all the Sanctum guys, and you just don't play Sanctum cards. And then you Correct. do. And I would never peg that list as that play style. But you play right. it that way. And, and it, what's win. funny is when I when I first saw it too, I was like, okay, it's three Blood of the Titans. I love that card. Three sloppy lab works. That card looks really good. Like let's play it. And like, but I I'd never played it that epic quest style of like setting it up the entire game mm-hmm. um and then when i switched to it it was actually winning so i think when you when you see me kind of just do that you i think you'd maybe pick that up and and go you, into you, it you could pick it maybe up not in one match player. i mean yeah, I know, my, my whole meta knows what time. i'm doing yeah your meta knows but like a random person that sees you play it will sure. not immediately notice that and they'd have to not only would they have to know how to do that they'd have to understand how many chains difference is that playstyle versus my deck. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand the deck, it's going to be really hard to assign chains. Whereas, like, if I take these... Like, you look at these top four decks for this Vault Tour. I could pretty easily figure out, if I play any of these two decks that are all racing decks, I could figure out what the chain handicap should be because they're all pretty straightforward. It's like, you play your Amber, you jam your cards. And it's like, oh, well, one of these decks, the one with the Double Time Traveler, is the best one. Let's assign some chains to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the Epic Quest deck... I don't 100% know how I should quantify that. Yeah, that's fair. Th- th- this is for, like, I don't even know if there's any adaptive vault tours planned yet, but I would love that. Yeah, I haven't seen all the formats, but if they're going to be mixing up the formats, that is one that would be very interesting. And what I'm trying to get at is that, like, the deck you would bring to a vault tour would be very different based on the format, which is cool. And, and I don't think they're going to do just straight Archon for all of these. And, like, I like the way they did Sealed. You open three decks, pick one. And then that is your deck you're running for the whole sealed event. I like that. that that's to a good sealed. Greatly event. minimize the uh, what's called the randomness, the variance. Yeah. Do you think they should allow you to to switch between decks? In a in a sealed. <laughs> in the sealed. So. I don't think so. Okay. No. 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 That that that's too much. I mean, you get to see your opponent's deck list like going into it, and like the ultimately these these are decks that you haven't been playing for three weeks. You don't necessarily understand their intricacies. <laughs> So, like, you just switching to a new deck isn't really, like, putting your opponent into a... Like, it, it doesn't it doesn't hinder you or your opponent. It probably hinders you more than your opponent. Yeah, you're right. By switching decks. <laughs> um, and it could just be you, you made the mistake round one, you're like, oh, I should have picked the other deck. What am I doing? <laughs> um, I'd be... I, I'd much rather prefer that just in sealed, they let you look at your opponent's deck list. Because in sealed events, it's in the rules. You can't look at your opponent's deck. Which oh, interesting. Which is really dumb. Um, they should immediately take that rule out, and you should because that's the most important part of this game. Like yes. The highest skill element of this game is looking at your opponent's deck, being able to quickly analyze it, and then understanding how your deck plays against it. And if you're just playing against random cards, you remove a lot of that skill. 
for seal purposes, and, and that's yeah, like my, I want to get out of the game. Myself, when I look at an opponent's list, I'm looking for all the amber steel cards, and I'm I'm trying to pick a number that I can reliably go to. Mm-hmm. And then as the game plays on, what what cards have they played that can affect that number, and then adjust my number accordingly. So like, there, there's gonna be times where they're like, they have stockpile. Well, I can go to six then, right? Yeah, I'm playing pick, around stockpile. Picking like, a number is a thing that I that I find myself doing more in the moment than than in the setup. Maybe I yeah, should be doing yeah. that more in the setup. That that seems like a cool thing to uh, a metric in the setup. And there might be times too where like you just see their deck has like relentless whispers and nerf blasts, right? They steal the ones, the urchins, all that stuff. They don't totally. really have any other ones. So I'm just going to everything. I'm just putting in as much as I can. I don't. I'm not worried about it. Mm-hmm. If they don't have the the big removal card, I'm just <laughs> doesn't matter. Well, and also something to point out is so like. You know, uh, myself and Colby, we do crack pack episodes, and in those episodes, we time ourselves. And, that's, and it's basically we go two minutes, we're we're just going straight off the card, then we put it down, talk about it for five more minutes, then bring it back in, and correct any mistakes. But like those two minutes, while it's a long time, you can't account for everything, right? You have to prioritize whatever you're worried about. And so knowing your own deck and what your deck should be afraid of will determine what types of things you're peeking towards. Like ours is more generalized. But depending on the deck I'm playing, will determine what I'm actually looking for. And even even taking that one step further, there's been a number of times where we've done a crack a pack episode, and then we'll we'll stop recording, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll look at the deck for another five minutes off recording, and go, wow, there's a lot more here than we realized. And that's something that would happen to me in a game, and I'd go, oh wait, I didn't realize that they had two Dominator Bobbles and Inspiration Commander Remiel and a Mega Mouth. I have to kill their whole yeah. board. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it, it changes a lot. And so when you have sealed events, you're like, we're just going to remove that entire aspect of the game. At this point, decks that are more solitaire decks get a massive advantage because if you don't have to care what your opponent does and you're just doing your own thing, then you're better off than the guy that's like, okay, well, how do I need to hold this board wipe or not? And if you don't know whether or not you need to hold the board wipe, you're you're at a big disadvantage versus the guy who's like, oh, I'm just going to play this ghastly hand 100% of the time. What what would you what do you think would have to change in the meta? This is the thought I'm having right now to to facilitate a more board heavy uh, deck winning or doing well. Is it is uh, it a problem with the card pool or the or the meta yeah, yeah. itself? So, so I thought about this a lot. So um, I think right now the biggest mistake in the game is that there's just too many cards that do useful things that give you amber, right? Like Lost mm-hmm. in the Woods, Relentless Whispers, um, what's it called? Mind Barb, Control the Weak, Scrambler Storm. These are egregious cards that should never have amber. Right? Like if I have a card that is just 100% of the time giving me value, but then it also gives me amber, that should not work. Like amber should only be given to cards that potentially brick in your hand. Or creeping oblivion. That's a card that it purges two in the discard, and it gives you an amber, but it doesn't affect the board. That's a cool card to put an amber on. Yeah, no, no. Like okay, so the type of card that I think should have amber on it. Like I think a really good example is. Shield of Justice versus Potion of Invulnerability. They do sort of the same thing. The difference is, Shield of Justice, you have to have guys on your board the turn you play it. There's a very good chance you won't, or you won't have good targets to fight with. So it just does nothing. That needs an Amber. Potion of Invulnerability, it's an Omni effect, right? So like that card hits a table. There's going to be at least one point in the game where you're going to want to fight your opponent's creature, right? And you're going to want to not take damage from fighting your opponent's creature. So that card should not have an amber, but it does. And that's really the big difference, right? Where it's like cards that potentially do nothing, those cards should have amber. But cards that always do something should not. And there's just too many of those. Uh, but, but like, um, nature's call. Mm. Yeah. It makes the game go very quick. Yeah, and but, that's, okay, why, but, that's why we like these racing decks. But then, but then let's flip the other way, right? So like how many cards stop amber? Right? How many cards say, like, you're not going to forge keys? And there's far less of them. They're far more conditional. And on top of that, they tend to be rarer. Right? So like I can build mm-hmm. an incredibly powerful racing deck using nothing but commons. If I wanted to build a control deck that can control Amber using like only commons and uncommons, it becomes very difficult. Like all of the money cards for controlling Amber are uncommons and rares. And there are a lot of interesting cards that you want to build around, like Epic Quest or even Felix the Disintegrator, that are rares. And you can't mm-hmm. rely on them. You know, you're never going to get that deck you want unless you're doing a lot of research. Yeah, like okay, like let's say I, let's say I were to go on um, 
on like eBay or I'm gonna go to Decks of Keyforge and I wanna search for a racing deck, right? And I say, I want it to have Untamed, I want it to have um, Shadows and I want it to have, uh, let's say, um, this, right? Okay, this. It'd be very easy for me, I mean, not like super easy, but I can reasonably find a deck that has three Urchins, three Control the Weeks, two Lost in the Woods, three Dust Pixies, right? Like this is <laughs> okay. not, I mean, it's really good, but it's not that hard to find. We're talking about commons. Yeah. Right now, let's flip it. And I say, okay, I want to build a heavy um, amber control deck. And I want it to be Brobnar, I want it to be Sanctum, and I want it to be Dis. I want Vault like, Keeper. I want, yeah, yeah. I want, I want Vault Keeper. Well, that's a rare. I want uh, Doors of the Heaven. Well, that's an uncommon. I want Lash. Pile of Skulls. That's a rare. Mm. I want Lash. That's an uncommon. I want Drumble. That's an uncommon. I want, uh, let's say I want Gatekeeper, right? Who's like basically a Miasma. Well, that's an uncommon too. Right, and, and you start looking through all these cards, and it's like basically you have Charette, who's a common, he's okay. Um, Crump, he's a common, and then uh, Sanctum has Bumpsy. I mean, Bumpsy's like very suspect, right? Like if you're if you're building like the the I'm controlling Amber, you want consistent yeah. every single turn, or you want really big uh, Amber swings, and like all these cards are just not commons, and so it's really hard to find a deck that has all of the amber control because they just don't exist like you just don't have enough uh uncommon and rare slots in your deck so yeah it it is i don't think it's a problem with the card pool i think it's a quirk of the card pool you know and um i'm not trying to speculate too far into the future but i hope that other future sets care about the board more and from what i'm seeing i think they will but but sticking with this one i think it's still possible to get a board based deck or a slower amber control based deck it's just less easy and less easy to play and which is why you don't see them top cutting these events and there might still be a couple of them because there's another uh, 25 28 decks that we're not looking at with a magnifying glass and i bet you there's some really cool slower ones in there that just didn't do as well as these four um there, there was one deck that i remember um i saw i forget which one it was but it had like a mars disc combo with like a bunch of grabber jammers and a lash and I think it had, um, like, I think it's like, Network in there and some charrettes and a Drumble. Like, like there was one deck that did that, but we're talking one out of 32, right? So, like, just statistically, that guy's going to lose. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like even if you have, like, the type of deck we're talking about, you, you can't to... expect to high roll one versus 32. Like, like, just one of these decks that is a racing deck is going to just overpower you on some random game and you're out of the tournament. Right, like so holistically, you needed there to be like half of the decks be like amber control, and then the other half be racing, and then we see a more fair. Um, look, look at more look at this version. deck. I think I found it. Java Java Mash Browning, the Warded and Iron. It's Dis Mars Shadows. Good houses. This deck looks great. It has three John Smith, which, <laughs> I mean, and it has shadows. It has bait and switch. Like, if this deck was in the top, I wouldn't be surprised. But this one does seem a little bit more um, board-based. It has double succubus and a snudge. It has the pit demon. It has the John Smiths. It has a phosphorus stars, which I bet you play once or twice. Um, still, it, it has a gateway. Like, I wonder how well this deck did. Do we have stats on that? Um, yeah, yeah. If you look at the power level, you can see how the deck did overall. It did power five, so that means it wasn't top eight. Yeah, it, that means it, it either lost, like, in the first or second round. So, yeah, like, I bet this this deck is great. If I open this deck, if I found this deck, if I played against this guy... Yeah, this, this is the one I was thinking of, because yeah. it, it has it also has two succubuses. Very yeah. nice. Um, and on the shadow side, you still got the bait-and-switch, right? You have a dodger, which is, like, a, you know, recurrable resource. <clears throat> you have Relentless Whispers, you got Nerve Blast. Um, so, like, and then you also have Carlo Phantom, and you have enough artifacts that it's, like... You know, just having a couple is really all you need to justify that card's existence. Th this deck one. seems fine. Like, yeah. if this was in the top cut, or if this this did top cut, and I'm not surprised. But, you know, sometimes you just don't high roll. I would give whoever played this deck, Java Mesh Browning, good job on you. You brought a great deck, and you did well. Yeah, you just, you know, you're going to lose, right? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you lose. You, you, have, you, have, you have one deck of this type versus, like, 20 decks of the other type. The odds are not in your favor at that point. But yeah. like I mean, the triple John Smith is is fun. Like if you if you start John Smithing these grabber jammers, you can keep people off keys. Mm -hmm. And then the bolters can potentially get rid of 
problematic cards like a time traveler but we don't know if he if the guy played against that right like it's very much possible that he didn't and if your cards just don't hit in the right order you're kind of in trouble you can but say that about most decks right when you you just get that two 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 opener or mm -hmm. you know you're three turns in you play that two card to get out of it and then you draw those same two houses so like mm. like to your point like mm. you, you do just have to run well sometimes to to really push yeah and, and and that's any tournament so like you know as colby mentioned earlier like when you talk about success in card games, a lot of it is like how many times can you top cut, right? The more times that you're able to top cut, the more likely it is that one of those, you're just going to run hot and win the event. Um, so we shouldn't put too much stock in someone actually winning, but like someone doing well, we should give a lot of credit to. So like everyone that made the top 32 here, you know, we should give them credit because while I personally don't think their decks were all that great, they were good enough to play them well, right? They, they were good enough to say like, my deck against the field that I'm up against, I was able to go 5-1 in, you know, the early stages, and then maybe a flame out of the cut. And, you know, for one step further than that, there are some people here with decks that just don't look good. There are decks with low numbers. I'm looking at stats, you know. I'm not looking at any of them too deep, but I'm like, wow, this deck, I would never bring this deck because the Untamed House is just garbage. But they're here. They did it. They brought the deck. They played it well. They probably know it inside and out, and there's probably something that I don't see, which is why they did well. Good, good on you for bringing the deck that you like to play, that you're good with, and doing well with it. Yeah, and okay, so I think at this point we're, we're probably good to uh, to wrap up this episode, and and so if we'll we'll do these maybe like once every two months or so. That's the idea. It's just like for topics that are a little bit too big, and that we can't fully structure and, and boil down. Uh, will oftentimes bring in extra horses. In this case, we brought Nate Nuring. You know, he's a, he's a guy that likes stats, likes card games, and he's really good. And we're like, he's the kind of guy that we need to, to help us with this project because it's like, it's kind of daunting to look at 32 deck lists <laughs> by yourself. So uh, having extra opinions is good. But uh, Nate, thank you for joining uh, Colby as always. And uh, for those that don't know, we are Bouncing Death Quark. We are at Death Quark for both Facebook and Twitter. That's the best way to find us. We also have a Discord. Um, let us know what you think, send us messages, and we'll see you next time. Thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks for having us.